Max back with another episode of the Middlemen podcast. Football, I'd say, is certainly coming home. It is, isn't it? It's, it's got to be, mate, surely. It's, uh, it's, it's the words on everyone's lips around here, isn't it? Uh, it's, you see it everywhere. You open up your Facebook, your Instagram. You, you, you can follow whatever accounts you want. You, it doesn't even have to be football related, but you'll see somewhere along your feed that is coming home because the, the, the nation, once again, it feels like 2018 all over again, doesn't it? Now we uh, progress in the knockout stages. It, there's, there's, a, there's a real buzz in the air. Yeah, I think it really is coming home. And, and this time, our route to the final... If we don't win it this year, I genuinely believe that we will never win it. We beat Germany in the round of 16. We're through to the quarterfinals. We've got the Ukraine win that. And all of a sudden, it's looking very likely. I've already got a couple of bars booked for the semi and the final, just in case. And actually, I think comparing boxing to football a minute, I think the Wilder Fury fight is very similar to England versus the Ukraine. I think... Just like Deontay Wilder, the Ukraine have gone very under the radar. Wilder went about his business very nicely with that arbitration. He, he clearly knew that that was coming. He's trained hard. Fury's out there in um, where, wherever he is. Is he in Vegas, you know, chilling, relaxing by the pool. I'm sure he's putting the effort in. And I'm not saying England aren't putting the effort in. I'm not saying we haven't worked hard, which of course we have this tournament. But I think like Deontay Wilder, before we go back to the Germany game, I think the Ukraine on Saturday night could be a bit of a banana slip. Yeah, definitely. They're not they're not ones to be underestimated, are they? And I think any knockout game you have to treat it you have to treat it like a, like anyone. We have to treat uh, our opponents like they are the same caliber as Germany. But seeing what we did to Germany and, and how we went about them, yet another clean sheet, it it, encur- it is very encouraging and it is it's very convincing and it gives us all the belief in the world that we can get past uh, Ukraine, who have gone the furthest they ever have in any competition in their history. So it's, it's a good year for them. Uh, they seem to be the dark horses, maybe. Uh, you know, Denmark is still in the mix as well. So I think they are the, the true dark horses. But it's, it's nice to see um, if you kind of take away the, the English bias uh, for, for a minute. It's nice to see Ukraine actually get that far. You know, it's, it's always good to see a, a team like that progress and, and do the best they ever have. But I think we're going to have to... Uh, Put that put that little fairy tale to an end in the uh, in the quarterfinals. Yeah, I, I think we will. I, I genuinely I do believe that. Um, and you touched on Denmark. We'll go back to uh, you being in Wales, watching England in Wales. But uh, let's go to Germany and Southgate played three or five at the back, depending on how you look at it, with the wing backs with uh, Trippier and Shaw slotting in. And I, I thought he stuck with his guns. He went defensive. Uh, he played Rice and Phillips, which I think you need to against Germany. And he ignored his critics with that and. I think there was question marks over Trippier starting, especially with the fact that he was brought into for his set pieces. And I've got to say, I don't think he made much of an impact with them. Only made two substitutions. Greenish replacing uh, Saka, who, by the way, I mean, I know he's just signed a new deal at Arsenal, but uh, Greenish signed a deal with Villa a year ago and he's probably on his way to City. What a player Saka is. And uh, I've watched him this season. I don't even think he's hit his peak yet. I genuinely believe... He's got so much more to come. And uh, the other sub was uh, Hende replacing Declan Rice. So the first knockout win over Germany since 1966. I, I don't have any complaints, really. Um, maybe start a Grealish. I always think he-, he makes an impact. He set up both goals, didn't he? So uh, maybe start him against the Ukraine. But what are your thoughts from that Germany game? I think the the score has to speak for itself. You know, everyone 
after the game thinks they're the the better English manager and will set up a team the the way they want to. But the 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 truth of the matter is the way Southgate does it, whether you like it or not, whether you see the lineups an hour before kickoff and you think, what is that about? It works. It does work. And that's as a fan, that's all I want. All all I want is is for it to work, for the system to work and for us to win. And Southgate's doing that. So you can't really knock him. Um it is it is frustrating when you see the talent we have on the bench, of course it is, and you say like, why is he not getting game time? Why are they not getting game time? But if if we win, then I think you can take take all those questions away. But yeah, uh, going on to those players like that you uh, referenced just then, Saka, as you said, unbelievable. I feel like he's he's kind of the Rashford of 2018 when yeah. he was in the squad. Everyone was like, yeah, he's the type of player that will you know, he's brave, he will drive at players, he'll make those, you know, penetrating runs in the defence. And that's what that's what we want, like, out of our wingers. And that is what Saka does. Um, I can't remember if Rashford was playing down the middle or, or uh, as a winger back then in 2018, but it kind of reminds me of, uh, that's kind of how, how we viewed Rashford back then. And that is exactly what Saka does now. Um, you know, I, I think he got Rudiger booked almost straight away in the game, didn't he? Because yeah. of how, you know, how brave he is running at the players. So, um Everyone's always saying to start Grealish. Look, Grealish, oh my God, he is like, I'm over the moon with that man. He, like, honestly, he is, he is the man, isn't he? But yeah. as far as him starting goes, I think he's just better as an impact. So, like, that's my opinion. I think he's got all the talent in the world to be starting. Of course, of course he does. But I think we, we need a certain setup when we start the games. And that is that kind of defensive structure. And then later on, as the game progresses, I think that's when Grealish comes into it. And, you know, why does he need to be starting if he comes on and and uh, literally makes those two goals anyway? You know, if, if he can do that in the, without starting, then there's no need to start him. So I think, yeah, no matter how much game time he gets, he's always going to uh, make an influence. And, and he's always going to be an influence and he's always going to make an impact um, whenever he gets onto that pitch. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Uh uh, the only, I suppose, counter argument to not starting Greenish is that it took, how, what, seven, 65 minutes whenever he came on. It took him about an hour for England to really get going. And they only really got going, I thought, when Grealish uh, came on. We had the gods on our side as well. Thomas Muller pulling it wide. You don't see that happening every day. I thought we pressed well. I thought we were compact uh, in the way we played. And also, you know what? I-, I said this to a few people. It was just so nice to be watching among fellow England fans. I know you were in Wales and on that point of fans, what was it like when Wales, because you, you touched on Denmark, what was it like uh, when Denmark knocked Wales out? Did it just go down like a lead balloon? Yeah, it was, uh, mate, you, you could hear a pin drop there. There was, there was a massive turnout as well. So um, I, I was actually working at the time, but there was a, I, I work at a bar back in Wales and there was a huge turnout for it. Uh, every every Wales game day in a, any tournament there is. Um but yeah, obviously, you know, you, you could see in the game kind of how Wales went about the game is kind of how the fans did as well. Like they, they started off a bit bit lively. And then at the start of that second half, as soon as the second goal went in, spirits just dropped and it didn't get any better from there. Um, it's, it's, it's sad to see, isn't it? Obviously, I'm not, as, as we uh, we clarified in the last episode, <laughs> I'm not Welsh myself. No. But um, it's, it's sad to see a, a room full of hopeful fans be absolutely gutted and, and know their dreams are over but the the good thing is like I, I still think they have positive takeaways from a tournament they they're always so proud of of their team uh, for getting that far because they're, they're always big underdogs Wells. you know they're not a big team uh, like England they certainly don't have the expectations that 
uh, England have going into tournaments. So they kind of almost not expect the worst, but don't expect a lot and then anything better than that, which Wales normally do, uh, they, they can be happy about. So I think, yeah, overall, you know, horrible game, horrible way to go out in a 4-0 defeat. But I think Denmark are a really good side. Um, but as I said, yeah, there's positive takeaways uh, from from the Wales's performance in that tournament. Yeah, Denmark are definitely a dark horse. And obviously, since the first game and the Ericsson incident, uh, they've really come together as a unit and they look strong. They look like a team to beat. And uh, hopefully they're on our side of the draw, aren't they? So hopefully uh, they don't cause us too many problems if we play them. And you mentioned you were working in a bar. I think this has just been great for local businesses. Like England being England doing so well, it's so good for local business. Every bar, every restaurant I was in Watford for, uh, the Germany game was booked out. I've only just got a, uh, a seat in a bar in Derby, actually, for uh, the semi-final, uh, which we might not even be in yet. It's just incredible to see uh, the impact on local businesses and the crowd as well. The crowd at Wembley, I thought, was just the 12th man. I, there was, what, 43,000 there? Gareth Southgate said it was like having the full 90. And we saw it, if you watched Wimbledon last night, Murray uh, just staggered over the line against Otto last night. But the crowd really made the difference again as, is that kind of 12th man, I think. Yeah, and in a game with rivals like Germany, that is exactly what you need. You know, you need every bit of uh, every bit of support. And I think that's what Wembley were able to give to them. I, I kind of knocked them in the in the Croatia game and a, a few games before. I thought they were a bit quiet, but they only did have half the capacity that uh, the last game did, in, in fairness to them. But yeah, they, they really came alive. And uh, I think even looking, when you look back at the goals and you see the, the crowd reaction, it almost kind of, the atmosphere almost does feel like, uh, as Southgate said, like there's 90,000 in there. So yeah, it's, it's great. And uh, so it is with the local businesses, as you said. Um, my bar that I work in is, is doing really good right now. And I think that goes for uh, every every bar across Wales as as far as they were in the tournament and um, and in England. And in England, for sure, as well. Yeah, we cleared their shelves of uh, all the tequila roses that they had left, that's for <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> let's go on to transfers now. It's, we're in the middle of European Championships, but it's also kind of the, the hot season for transfers. And the one I wanted to ask you about most, you're, you're a massive Liverpool fan. I don't know a Liverpool fan as big as yourself, Max. And I know you love Rafa Benitez. And he's he's crossed the River Mersey or the park in the middle of the two grounds, should I say? And he's gone over uh, to Goodison Park to manage Everton. I know Everton fans are extremely uh, unhappy. Our friend Connor, who's a big Blues fan, uh, wasn't exactly thrilled. What do you think about Benitez going to your arch rivals as, I suppose, a Liverpool legend? Um, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? I'm kind of. I'm 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 not too I'm not as well I'm not as bothered by it as uh, Everton fans are. That's I think that's the main thing. Like if I felt any kind of sense of betrayal, which I really don't, because it's been ages since Rafa managed us. If it was only within a few seasons, then I would really I'd I'd be I'd be a bit heartbroken and I'd kind of question his morals. But it's it's been a long while, so I'm kind of disassociated from that. And uh, and I can understand, you know, he he's a manager. He, he's he's looking for work and he wants to do uh, what's best for him and. Of course, definitely play Premier League football like he is. Well, not play it, but manage Premier League football teams like he's used to. So I don't, I don't blame him for the move, but I just can't see it going well. You know, with, with the with the reception it's got from the Everton fans, I can just see it being an absolute disaster, especially going from Ancelotti to Benitez. I don't think there's much difference in ability of managing. Of course, no, I'm going to say that because. Uh, 
I I I like Rafa a lot, but uh, as you said, but I just think the the way that both men got received by the club, understandably, Benitez, as you said, basically being a almost a Liverpool legend, um, makes it much tougher because there was no kind of history like that with Ancelotti. He was, you know, they they welcomed him with open arms, but it's it's not the same here. And I think I'm not sure if it can get better with time, but we'll have to see. Yeah, from an outsider's point of view, I, I agree with you. I think ability-wise, there's not a lot of difference between Benitez and Angelotti, so that's not really the issue here. But why would why would you, as a football owner, uh, go for a manager who the fans have made very clear that they do not want? That's what doesn't make sense to me. It's not going to go down well. We've seen it at so many clubs before in the past, and uh, this is where again the fans come into football and where they're, they're perhaps overlooked um, in other managerial news. Nuno Espirito Santo, uh, the Wolves boss, the ex-Wolves boss has gone to Tottenham after 10 weeks. They finally got a new manager. Uh, Ryan Mason uh, didn't get that job. I know Andros Townsend's going to be very unhappy about that. But uh, I think Santo uh, will, will probably do a decent job with Spurs. We've seen what he's done with Wolves. So uh, it's hard to predict, but I'd love to get a Spurs, Spurs fans point of view. Perhaps we can get one on uh, in the near future. Um, Patrick Vieira to Crystal Palace is another uh, managerial switch up. That'll be interesting. I know he's managed in France and he's done quite well over there. Sancho to Manchester United. They've wanted him for a long time and 73 million. It's a lot of money, but they paid 80 million for Maguire. So uh, maybe for Jaden Sancho, that's an absolute bargain. And uh, back to our teams, Max, Liverpool and Chelsea. Liverpool, apparently interested in a move that got France uh, knocked out of the European Championships. Kylian Mbappe, I think that's a bit of a harsh way to describe him. We know he's one of the very best players in the world uh, and uh, you're likely going to pay very good money for him if you get him. Yeah, well, he's talking to town, isn't he? And not necessarily for the right reasons right now, but, you know, you you, you got to kind of remove the recency bias and, and forget, kind of forget about the penalty and look at him overall. What a player you know, there's no way any, no one should be annoyed at that transfer rumour. Uh, no Liverpool fan anyway should be annoyed at that. You know, if, if he came to our club, that's huge. And that will, I would be surprised with the addition of him that we wouldn't get uh, the title next year. I don't care if Grealish goes to City. I don't care if how much City boosts their squad. With Mbappe in us, I think that gives us a huge, a, a bigger boost than people realise. But then again, you know, I can't expect him to go and, and find the form that he found at PSG these last couple of seasons because, you know, as we know, Premier League is just a whole different kettle of fish, isn't it? And, and we've seen with Timo Werner to Chelsea, it kind of takes time for, for these uh, big players outside in the other leagues to adapt to the Prem. So, you know, I'll probably give him the benefit of the doubt for the first season, but I can see him really, you know, he's still really young, isn't he? So coming into his own uh, in the Liverpool team, that'll be huge. But I always... With these, you know, top-notch, top five, for me, he's, he's the, one of the top five forwards in the world. I always take these with a, with a bit of a pinch of salt because, you know, when was the last time? It was probably like Van Dijk or Allison. We got a kind of top five in their position player to our team, uh, you know, and, and, and that's been a while ago. So I always take it with a bit of a pinch of salt. I don't really expect it. We, we know in football, especially, a transfer's never done until it's done, is it? So I'll believe it when I see him in a, in a Liverpool shirt. But just even the, the concept and the potential of that happening is, uh, is very exciting. With Van Dijk and Alisson, though, both two world-class players, like you say, and unlike players that have come to Manchester United, Fred, uh, Van Der Beek, uh, Alexis Sanchez, 
the two players that you've signed, the two players that you just mentioned in the last in the last few years have fitted in so well at Liverpool and have made a real difference and probably the reason you won the league in some cases. Um, so, and I, I like your point with, as well, give him a bit of time. I think Turbo, Timo Turbo, Timo Turbo Super uh, Werner. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I get confused with his nickname. And his real name, Timo. <laughs> exactly. Turbo Timo is, I think if he could finish, he would be the best striker in the world. Unfortunately, we know he can't, um, but give him time. Because these players cl- clearly have the quality and they clearly want to come over to England uh, and do some damage. Liverpool also interested in Kingsley Coman from Bayern Munich and uh, Ottavio from Porto. Chelsea rumoured with uh, Miradan Pjanic, who I understand from your uh, FIFA career, Max, is pretty decent in the central midfield role. Mate, he does damage on, on co-op seasons, <laughs> right? Me, me and my mate Callum, uh, we sometimes have a late night session on FIFA going as Barcelona and Pjanic is the man in that team. He's the playmaker, sets up all the goals, sprays the ball about. So you, you should be excited about uh, him coming to Chelsea. If if he plays at Chelsea, anything like he does for Barca on my FIFA. <laughs> on that note, well, the manager, we haven't got a manager quite like you, Max. But uh, on that note, I'm quite excited uh, with that transfer rumour. Let's go on to boxing. Um, actually, there aren't you know, any crazy stories in boxing this week. We're into, into July. So like we mentioned at the start, we've got about three weeks now until uh, the Fury Wilder three fight. Uh, but I suppose we can talk about Javonta Davis. He halted uh, Mario Barrios in the 11th round to win the secondary WBA super lightweight title, which to be honest, I don't really understand the WBA titles. Um, for me, just, just have the one belt. It, it complicates things. It makes a bit of a mockery. Uh, of the WBA um, and uh, Vasil Lomachenko as well returned to action and stopped uh, Mas- Masayoshi Nakatani in nine rounds. Uh, let's start with Tank though. I think the tactics for the Davis fight were largely kind of dictated by uh, the five-inch height uh, and reach advantages for Barrios in Atlanta. Um, I'd say that I thought Davis was chasing Barrios down by the 11th round and connecting with heavy lefts and rights. Um, but in the opening rounds, probably wasn't as strong, probably lost quite a few of them. Uh, there was a small break to sort out that loose tape on the left glove of Barrios. And it was then that D- Davis landed left to the body and Barrios just dropped to his hands and knees, didn't he? And he uh, was up at seven, but Davis started to unload on Barrios again. And the referee uh, just had to stop the fight. Um, he holds this WBA super featherweight title and now takes this secondary one. Uh, and effectively, of course, he only holds the one genuine title because Lopez uh, is champion at lightweight and Josh Taylor holds all four super lightweight. So, um, I don't understand the whole WBA title situation. Yeah, let's just just because he he won that title last weekend as a super lightweight. Let's not forget who the real champion is. And at one four one hundred forty pounds, that super lightweight, it is Josh Taylor. Yeah, six times he has six of those belts. He is undisputed champion there. But as you said, uh, nowadays boxing likes to be complicated and have this regular. They call it the. Uh, You've got a super champion and a regular champion, and um, Davis took that uh, regular one. So it's it's kind of a bit of an excuse of a of a world title, but let's not let that distract us from how good of a performance it was from Davis. You know, as you said, it was a slow start, um, which makes it interesting when I when I look at um, him and Lomachenko fighting on the same nights because you know they they can both make 135 pounds. Lomachenko fought at lightweight. He fought 135 pounds last week and um, 
I'm sure Javante Davis can get back down uh, to do that five-pound weight cut. Both of these guys start slowly. So it kind of, I pondered it and I kind of thought how exciting a, a final six rounds between those guys would be if they decided to fight. But um, yeah, just just looking at the uh, the Davis fight against Barrios, though, it, it was a great performance, whether it uh, whether he won a world title, uh, an excuse of a world title or not, it was still a great performance, you know. Um, he wasn't, I wouldn't say he's really getting out of box, but yeah, there wasn't too much going on at the start. And those rounds could have gone like either way. But Barrios was, you know, he, I think he used his reach well, um, let, let his hands go a little bit more than Davis. I think Davis really had to kind of settle into the fight to kind of work out how he's going to, um, how he's going to make the best of his offence with the small uh, and and the big height disadvantage. So he'd he done that well. And, and by the 11th round, you know, he, he had sussed him out. He knocked him down, obviously, a couple of times before that anyway, I think was it in the 8th and 7th. So, um, yeah, no, I, th- I think he boxed well and really came into the fight. And uh, it was a great win for him, as as was uh, Lomachenko's as well. And you touched on the kind of weight differences between... Uh... Lama and and Tank and I think there's been a lot of criticism around Tank that he's he kind of just switches through the weights very easily he doesn't really give it much thought and that's probably the biggest criticism surrounding him at the moment and also could could you argue there was a bit of matchmaking going on some clever matchmaking with the fights he's had because to me and I said this to you before we started recording I know he's still unbeaten and he probably is still the future of the sport and Mayweather is still yeah, pulling and pushing uh, with him. But it's been a slow journey for, for Tank. Yeah, I think his, his, his hype has exploded, obviously, because he is kind of the face of Mayweather's promotion. So he's, he's like the poster boy and he's got a lot, a lot of fame. But as you said, yeah, he's had to beat, he has had to beat certain calibre of opponents, to be fair. And you look at other people with the same records as him and I would say, you know... I don't know. It can, you can kind of look at it two ways. You can kind of look at Josh Taylor, who's had an, like numerous less fights than him and beaten uh, really, really credible guys and has an unreal uh, resume. But then there are also guys with the same record as Tank that haven't beaten the same level of opponents as him. So you can look at that either way and, and take of it uh, what you will. But I think that criticism now, Tank went up to 140 pounds. I think that kind of defeated a lot of the criticism because... What everyone was saying before this fight and what everyone was saying after the fight with Leo Santa Cruz uh, in last Halloween was Leo Santa Cruz was 126 pounds, I think, or 130 pounds. That's what they fought at. And obviously Tank was a lightweight, so he came down to that weight. And everyone was saying, ah, oh, you know, he, he only beats up the uh, the opponents lighter than him. So what has he done in his next fight? He's gone up and beat, knocked out an opponent heavier than him. And I think that deserves so much credibility because all I've seen is, you know, I've seen that hate after that Santa Cruz fight and now he's proved everyone wrong. They've just gone on to a, a different talking point and another way of criticising him. I think, you know, we need to start waking up a bit and running him as props because he was saying, he literally did what everyone was saying he couldn't do. So I think that deserves a, a lot of credit that he's not being given for this fight. It's a bit like Gareth Southgate in England a little bit after the Scotland game. Uh, everyone was on Southgate's back. Uh, and And to be fair, even when I thought we were playing pretty well against Germany, there was a lot of criticism coming Southgate's way throughout the game. It wasn't until uh, Sterling got that third goal in four four games that uh, it switched. And it, it's, it is similar to boxing. I think boxing fans are, are fickle like football fans are. Um, and, and maybe you're right. You know, I, I've been harsh on Tank and, and maybe it's just a case of let's just give him some time because he is proving his critics wrong. 
you know, he, he's doing what he says he wants to do. So, yeah, maybe you're right, Max. Uh, and, and you also touched on Lomachenko there. So uh, I thought he, he, he fought uh, Masayoshi Nakatani. I thought he was just way too good. Uh, for the, the guy from Japan. He forced a stoppage in the ninth round. And um, I, I thought he learned his lesson as well from his fight with uh, Teofimo Lopez. Th- this time, Lomachenko, he made a quick start. He was darting past the longer reach of Nakatani in the first round. He connected with the left. Um, and it was that clash of heads, of course, as well, saw Lomachenko cut on his forehead. Uh, and it was a bit awkward, but I thought he got back from that really well, scored with powerful straight lefts uh, by the end, which... Uh, it put out the fire, really, of Nakatani's work. And in the ninth, Lomachenko just bombarded uh, his opponent with punches and suddenly uh, Nakatani was in trouble. So uh, in his first fight since losing to Teofimo Lopez in October, I thought Loma uh, d- did a pretty good job, looked sharp and had too much class for his opponent. Yes, mate, literally hit the nail on the head with that assessment of that fight because that, that is exactly that. I think he did exactly what he uh, should have done pretty much in, in that Lopez fight. But what's interesting about Nakatani being the opponent, I think Loma, I, I never saw it as a 50-50 fight. I, I knew uh, Lomachenko was going to win, but he still did it in a convincing manner. You know, he didn't kind of stumble across the finish line or get, get to a decision win. May I add a decision win that Tiafimo Lopez had when he yeah. fought Nakatani. Yeah. You know, he he didn't, he's meant to be the, the powerful guy at lightweight and he didn't even beat Nakatani like Lomachenko has. So that's very interesting. And that makes me, excited for a Loma Lopez rematch, which I'm pretty sure we're not going to get. And I think that is a shame because looking at how Lomachenko performed on the weekend and considering the fact that he could make a quick start against Lopez if they had a rematch, I'm, I'm there for that. But I know a lot of boxing fans now want to move on. And I think Lomachenko would be a huge, huge banana skin for, uh, for Lopez. Now he's trying to, you know, kind of carve himself up to be, uh, to prove himself now as an undisputed champion. Do you think it has anything to do with Lopez has his postponed fight with George Cambosos? Is that anything to do with it? Yeah, I, I mean, even even when he fights Cambosos, obviously that's that's a mandatory and and in in this day and age, you know, you have to take these fights. But even if it's down down the line, you know, Lomachenko, he's, he's not he is getting on, you know, he's he's past his thirties now. Um, well, not past his whole thirties. Over 30, shall I say? I think he's 32 or 33 now. So it can't be too far down the line. But even in a year or so, you know, let let um, Lopez have that fight with Cambosis. And, and why not make it again? I think it would be a great rematch because uh, Lomachenko was really impressive in that fight. But I, I can't see Lopez's team wanting to retake that fight because I think in the last six rounds uh, of their fight, he, he came out hard and really gave Lopez that challenge and I think if Lopez had that for 12 rounds it would be a much tighter affair and Lopez might be seeing all his bouts that he's only really just acquired taken from him so I don't think they'll be wanting that fight anytime soon well let's see what happens we've got some really exciting fights on our hands whatever does happen and a few of those fights and just to kind of round off the podcast with this point we'll be on the zone and uh, I've seen actually again quite a lot of comparisons between football and boxing this week and from a journalistic point of view I wanted to look at it this way it's like the athletic with the zone I think they've they've come into the boxing world and they've taken all of the best broadcasters Mike Costello being my very favorite and I, I know Mike and he's a really good guy and he's one of my very favourite broadcasters, uh, and he's he's just gone to the zone. So is, is that what's is that what's happening here? It's like the athletic in football. Yeah, we have, we have seen a bit of a uh, a bit of a force, kind of almost an unknown force, uh, come in and and really take boxing by storm. To be honest, because you know 
they 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 wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for Matchroom Mind. Like they that's why that's where their kind of push comes from and their support comes from because they're broadcasting all of uh, Matchroom's fights and even more exclusively now Matchroom have split up with Sky. So it's it's huge. It's it's really big for the zone. But they seem to be making all the right moves. You know, sign with one of if not the biggest promotion in the world, and um and they're doing a whole kind of clear out and and making a new team. I was a bit um. I, I saw a few additions. Obviously, never going to argue with the Mike Costello uh, edition. No. I, I like him as much as you, you know, absolute legend of a broadcaster. But then there was also a bit of questionable ones. While well, you see like Maya Jammer in there, and I think, you know, let's 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 not write her off. Let's see what she can do. Um, you know, let, let's see what she's made of. Let's not write her off straight away. But it's definitely questionable when, uh, you know, you you know, she doesn't have that kind of. She's not known for her boxing background. No. So. Um, We'll, we'll see how that goes and we'll see if it's the right choice or not. But I like how the zone are kind of taking those risks and um, we'll see how their even new relationship now with Matchroom progresses. Yeah, well, I, I always say fortune favours the bulb. We'll see what happens with Maya Jammer and Laura Woods as well, by the way, an excellent broadcaster. So she'll do uh, she'll do a great job, I'm sure, with the zone. And like the zone, we try and get the biggest guests on the Middlemen podcast. In our last episode, we spoke with uh, Fraser Clark. We've had Galalia Fai, Katie Healy, uh, some really big names, have come on and joined us and we're hoping to bring you another big name uh, very soon. But for now, I think that's it. Enjoy the Ukraine game. Uh, it's coming home. Uh, we believe in England. Uh, we hope you do too. So yeah, another top, a top episode, Max. And it's so nice to talk about England doing well in a, in a proper tournament. For uh, for the first few months of the year, I was talking about Liverpool having a horrible season. So now it's great to talk about uh, some some good positive football. Uh, yeah, absolutely loving it, guys. As Noah said, stay tuned for our guests that we get on. Pretty much every other every other episode, we get a big name on our big Fraser Clark on uh, last week. So that was great. And stay tuned for that. And stay tuned for the the Euro journey. Come on it with us, and uh, hopefully it really does come home.